Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. But I want to say welcome to Valley Point. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm glad to get to be here with you today. I've been looking forward to this. And when I began to think about, all right, how was I going to launch into all of this? I, I wasn't sure how to write until this week because I knew this was either going to be a really good week for most of us in this room or it was going to be a really depressing week for most of us in this room based on how last Sunday night went. Well, the Eagles really helped me out. And everyone, well, most everyone here, at least those who are right with God, should be in a really good mood, right? A supreme Super Bowl victory, a historic parade down Broad Street. It's a wonderful Sunday to be alive, right? Well, several weeks ago, we began the year with a series called Life Verse, and Pastor Eric presented a question to us. He said, how many of you would like for this to be the best year of your life? Yes, easy to answer. I'll jump on for that one. Well, then he said, well, if you're going to have the best year of your life, you're going to need to have the best spiritual year of your life. Not so easy to pull off, right? Well, he said, okay, here's the first step. We all need to get together, and we need to choose a verse or two for ourselves, a verse that no matter what happens in the year 2018, some of you have already experienced some hard things and some good things. But regardless of what happens, we have a couple of verses to hold on to, to carry us through, to anchor our souls with. And so we did that. And if you haven't, by the way, committed your life verse um, to the display out in the lobby, this is the last Sunday to be able to do that. So grab your block and your marker, put it on there. And then today we're going to assemble all of that and it'll be hanging in the lobby for the rest of the year. So that was step number one. Let's get a verse to anchor us. Well, then last year, or last Sunday, he introduced a new topic of kindness. As if we want to have the best spiritual year of our life, we're going to have to consider this thing, kindness. And we launched Be Kind, Please. And as part of that, there was a kindness challenge presented to us. How did you all do this week, honestly? Some of us did pretty good, I would imagine. And basically what this is, is we were challenged to choose one relationship, one person to just infuse kindness into. So every day for 30 days, we're going to say something nice and do something nice for them. And if you check out your talk notes section in your program, on the back side of that, there's uh, some steps for taking the kindness challenge, and then there's a link provided. So you can go to that website, type in the type of relationship that you are trying to infuse with kindness, and they'll send you email reminders and helpful tips as to how to pull this off. And hopefully, at the end of those 30 days, our relationships are improved. Regardless, if it's already good, it'll be better. If it's bad, it'll be slightly better, hopefully, right? You can't go wrong with kindness, can you? Well, maybe you can. We're going to find out. So jump into the kindness challenge and see how it works for you. And Thankful for everybody who got off to a strong start. I'm sure there's others of us that maybe did not get off to quite the start we were hoping for. And me, I fall into the latter of the two categories. So I picked my person, 
last Sunday. Monday was great. Did something nice, said something nice, wonderful, one for one. I'm pushing through this thing. Well, then Tuesday comes, I get so sick. Uh, I'm down for three days with this, and I know all the women, you can stop, you know, giving me the look. It wasn't just a man cold, okay? This was the real deal, and it, it wiped me out. So Thursday rolls around, and I'm behind, and I knew I had to do this today, and I'm behind in my preparation, and I get really frustrated. I'm not feeling good. I come home. We're eating dinner. I don't feel like eating dinner. That makes me even more mad because it's like one of my favorite things is to eat. And so I'm frustrated. I'm short with the kids. I say a couple of negative things around them. And I catch my wife, Courtney, across the table, and I'm like, you were even supposed to be my person this week. She's like, your person? What do you mean? I'm like, my kindness challenged person. You were her. And she was like, I didn't know. I'm like, I know you don't know because I didn't do anything. <laughs> and so I'm frustrated, and I grab my plate, and I'm heading to the kitchen. I'm like, but, and I have to talk about kindness to everybody this week. So Courtney collected all of the compassion she could and said, well, at least you're going to have a really good illustration. You can use yourself to tell everybody how to be unkind. <laughs> so thank you, honey, for pointing out my failures in the kindness challenge. But regardless of how you kicked off, or maybe this is your first week of this series and you didn't know anything about it, hop on today. I'm looking forward to a fresh week to try it all over again. So join me as we try to pull this off together. So last Sunday, he said, uh, Pastor Eric shared with us, Here's our, here was our big idea. He said, to have the best spiritual year of our life, we need to show others that they're valuable by the way we treat them. To show others they're valuable by the way we treat them. It's simple, right? This is elementary stuff we teach our kids. This is how we define kindness throughout this series. Really easy to say, really easy to understand, but difficult to actually do. Here's a big idea that I'd like for us to consider today, is that your best spiritual year involves being an extension of God's kindness. Having your best spiritual year involves being an extension of God's kindness. And what is it? What is it about kindness that's so close to the heart of God? Because there's many, many verses in scripture that, that talk about the, the kindness of God, or it'll say the loving kindness of God. But I think that there is one particular verse that I have really enjoyed coming across, and I think it's very, very unique in the way that it describes and initiates God's kindness for us. And we're going to read it. It's found in the book of Romans. But before we do that, I think it's going to help us to kind of set some background and some context for what's happening in the world at the time that this was written. So Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It was a letter. It was a letter written to the church in Rome. That's where we get Romans. And you'll find this book in the New Testament uh, of, of the Bible. And around this time, some very unique things were happening in Rome. So in A.D. 57, Paul writes this letter about 10 years after, after something occurs. So in A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius is emperor. 
of Rome. And the Roman Empire and the Jewish people were at odds. There was tension, some, some strong tensions around some religious beliefs. And so Emperor Claudius said, well, I've had it. Enough is enough. And he excommunicated all Jewish people out of Rome. And so they all had to leave. This greatly impacted the church because at the time there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians and they had come together and they were working through their tensions, working through their traditions, working through how to find a unified front so that they could be one church. And they were doing an okay job at this. Well, then overnight, all of a sudden, the church is 100% Gentile. And naturally, it just accepts their philosophies and traditions and beliefs. Well, this exile lasted several years. Well, the Jewish people were allowed to re-enter Rome. And when this occurred, they tried to re-engage with the church, and things were dramatically different. They brought back their traditions and their philosophies And the Gentile Christians were like, no, this is our church, and here's what we're doing, and here's how we're doing it. And Paul is writing this letter after all of this had occurred. And he realized there was a big problem. And neither the Jewish Christians or the Gentile Christians, neither one of them were handling this tension very well. I mean, there was envy, there was anger, there was bitterness, there there was racism, I mean, both sides were just at odds with one another, and they couldn't figure this thing out. And so Paul writes to them to say, I'm coming to visit you. So he was just wrapping up one of his missionary journeys because the Apostle Paul was sort of commissioned by the church in Jerusalem to take the good news of Jesus out of Jerusalem and to begin to spread it around the entire Mediterranean area. And so he would go from city to city, major cities, and establish churches, and then he would take missionary journeys and visit them and encourage them and build them up and make sure they're doing okay. We had not made it out to Rome yet, and he tried. There was a couple of circumstances that prevented him, so he writes this letter on his way back to Jerusalem from one of his missionary journeys. He says, look, I'm coming, but there's some things that I've heard about that you need to start addressing now. This stuff can't wait. Because Paul knew something very intuitive about the church is that when it's working the way it should in unity, it's an unstoppable force. But when there's division, lack of unity, disrespect, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And not much has changed in the church in a couple thousand years. There's still diversity. There's generational diversity. Here at Valley Point, there's racial diversity, there's political diversity and views, there's different religious backgrounds. People root for all sorts of crazy teams around here. And somehow, Christ has said, with all of that diversity, with all of those tensions to manage, you still have to find unity so that when you go out into the world, you are a good representative of Christ. And the church had lost that. And Paul's writing them to, to, to sort of hold up the mirror and say, here's some things that need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed right now. So we're going to pick up the, the, the beginning of this letter. It, it kind of starts off in usual fashion. Hey, it's Paul. Uh, sorry I haven't made it. Been thinking about you, praying for you. 
And then we get down to Romans 1, 8. So he kind of gives him his first thought. He says, let me first say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. So reading this, I guess we're doing pretty good here in Rome, right? Paul's giving us props. He's like the man. People know us. We're popular. We're well known for all the good that we've done. Things are starting off pretty well. Well, just 10 verses down, if, you're re- if you were reading this in your Bible and your Bible had kind of paragraph headers, which a lot of them do, the next paragraph would read, God's anger against sin. So I can only imagine as they're reading this letter, this, this thing takes a hard left. And all of a the sudden, they're a little bit worried, like, okay, who, who talked to Paul? What, what does Paul know here? Well, he first engages his, his readers with this hypothetical group of people. So he describes this group of people. It, it may have been a group that he had run into and seen, but he kind of spares uh, let, letting everyone know forever in Scripture who they were. So he kind of presents it as a hypothetical group of people who had kind of left the reservation. I mean, they were in it to win it, and they didn't care what God had to say, what he wanted from them. And it, it, it actually tells us that God had released them to do whatever they wanted to. And this is how it turned out. Romans 1, 29 to 32. He says, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. Get this. They invent new ways of sinning. I don't even know what they were doing. That sounds terrible. And they disobey their parents. Students, did you catch that one? Parents, go ahead and give a little, give a little elbow. In this laundry list of things that God despises, here lies, they disobeyed their parents. Just a little side note, you're welcome, parents. 31, they refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these kinds of things deserve to die, yet they don't care. They do them anyways, and worse yet, they encourage others to come and do it with them. Well, the church is a little uneasy. They're like, well, at least it's not us he's talking about, right? We only do like half of those things. We're not as bad as them. I bet he's talking about that city. I mean, they're really bad. I mean, they're awful. Have you, see, have you seen what, they, what they've been doing? Well, then Paul lays down the hammer. We turn to the next chapter, Romans chapter 2. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And he's not talking about some pagan country or some other world. This was a church. People inside of the church he's talking to now. And then he says, because you have no excuse when you say they are wicked and and they over there should be punished. You're actually just condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Now they know somebody talked (laughs) like we were going to keep all of this in house. We weren't going to let this dirty laundry outside. But here Paul is, he's holding up the mirror, and he paints this extreme scenario and says, hold on, hold on, before you're so quick to judge, 
why don't you take a look at some of the things you're doing? I don't know if you remember this story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric uh, told us the story of King David. He was one of the early kings of Israel. And David, as king, was supposed to go to war. Well, he stayed back and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And a series of bad decisions led him into having an affair with a married woman. Well, then it got so bad, he murdered the husband of the woman so that he could kind of sweep it all under the rug and marry her and, and, and make everything look okay. Well, then a prophet comes to town. His name was Nathan. And he starts telling this, this story to David. He's like, man, David, I need some help. There's this guy. I mean, he did some horrible things. He stole from his neighbor. He did all that. He started to describe some of the same types of things that David had done. And David gets angry. He's like, man, who is this? We need to find this guy because he needs justice. Nathan said, hold on, David. That man, that's you. He just smoked him right between the eyes with the truth. David repented, but Paul is using the same device here with the church. He lures them into this seat of supremacy, this, this seat of judgment on others. And they take it. They take the bait and they're hooked. He says, hold on, hold on. Before you get too crazy here, that's you. You, you call it some different things. You name it differently, but... The things you're doing is no better than the things they're doing. And I, I hate to admit it, I really do, but this sounds familiar for me. And I have a feeling it sounds a little familiar to you, and if it doesn't, it probably should because we're all guilty of this. It's one of the biggest complaints people have, too, about the church, our hypocrisy. We're hypocrites. We say one thing and do another. We judge others. But it's not just us. It's them, too, if they really are honest. It's everybody. We all do this in our lives because sin, it looks so bad on others. I mean, it is ugly when she does it. It's ugly when he does it. And then we put it on. It doesn't look too bad, right? I can pull this off. I can name it something different. I can control this. I don't have to do it all the time. I mean, look at them. I mean, they do it all the time. At least I'm not that bad. And we try to justify what we do in all sorts of different ways. Well, I could stop at any time. Or I could just use to blow off a little bit of steam, right? I deserve that. I work hard. I do a lot of good. So why don't I deserve to do a couple of things for myself? And we, we kid ourselves. So Paul takes this group of people, men and women at their worst, and says, Church, what you're doing isn't much better. It's actually no better at all, and you know better. But then he does something very unique that I love about Paul's writings. He takes what's happening down here, how we're treating each other, how we're talking to one another. And he rises above it and says, well, there's more to this than what you're understanding. And he brings God's perspective into it. Now, how does God now relate to the sins of man? 
we find some profound verses in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that the kindness is intended, God's kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? I mean, all sorts of things are implied by this. One verse, verse 4, I mean, it's profound. And and there's no way that we can talk about all of it right here today, but I want us to get something. I want us to to grab a hold of, of, of one thing here. How patient has God been with you? with me? How much grace have you been extended? How much forgiveness have you been extended? It's a lot. I don't deserve what God's given to me. I didn't earn his forgiveness. There's nothing about me that says, oh, that guy, that Ben Jones, if anybody deserves God's grace, it's him. No, there's, there's nothing I can hang my hat on to say I'm worthy of that. So why is it? Why do I feel like I can deny others that same grace and kindness and, and love that I've been given? Paul says you can't have it both ways. It doesn't work like that. You can't just take it and take it from God and, and think you deserve it and this is all for me and refuse to give it away. It doesn't work like that. And Paul realizes the church has missed it or they've forgotten about it. What is it? Well, I think that's why he poses this statement as a question. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin, because this is something they knew. He, he had taught them this. They had just forgotten. And as Paul writes the same thing in a different way to a church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he writes, For God made Christ Jesus, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Saying, look, it's not about tradition. It's not about religion. It's not about what you want, what they want, whose views you line up with. That's not going to unify diversity. That's not going to fix tension within diversity. The one thing that will is the one thing you've lost sight of. It's Jesus. And Jesus was God's kindness on full display for the world. Him giving his son as a sacrifice. And when we put our faith in Jesus, God's kindness is on full display. He has been so generous to us. He has been so forgiving to us. Who am I? Who am I to decide who deserves that? Who am I to, to, to say who deserves grace and forgiveness and who gets judged and who gets condemned? Only God holds a resume 
to make those kinds of decisions. That's above our pay grade. So why then are we so quick to deny others what we have been generously given by God? It all points to Jesus. We are the beneficiary of kindness, and God wants us to extend it. So there are some benefits. When we begin to extend God's kindness to others, we do benefit from it. And not that this should be the motivation behind it, but some good happens for us. And at least for me, it's nice to know that if I'm going to invest my time and my energy onto something, there is somewhat of a payoff, right? So in closing, here are our takeaways. Number one, extending God's kindness brings strength to my relationships. How is your marriage? Is it great? Well, infuse some kindness into it. It can be even better. Kindness works. Things a little bit rough, been rough for a while. You've probably tried everything else. Why not give kindness a shot? It's not just for marriage relationships. It's for all of our relationships, coworkers, friends, siblings, other family relationships, dating relationships. Kindness works. Second benefit, extending God's kindness shines a bright light for others. Do you want others to dread being around you? If so, I guess you can stop listening. But for the rest of us, extending God's kindness makes you likable. It makes others want to be around you because you're infusing refreshment into others, encouragement. And they say, there's something about them. I just feel good about myself when I'm around them. I want more of that. I want more of what they have. One of the ways Valley Point tries to do this is through our Love Day events. As Tracy mentioned earlier, we have a Love Day, serving Love Day this Saturday. You can find the flyer inside of your programs. You don't have to pre-register. You don't have to sign up. You just show up right at the office campus at the top of the hill this Saturday at 8.30. You get to sign up for any one of these events. That sounds interesting to you. And you and your family, whoever you're there with, will join a a team of people who will go and serve and love with you. Just a short few hours. And you can put God's display of kindness out for others to see. Shine a bright light for others. And you know what happens when we do that? We don't do it because it makes us feel good. It does, but that's not why we do it. We don't publish this and and tell everyone we're doing this. We're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And when you do that people notice. They say, wow, that church, man, they they do stuff for the community. I don't know what they're getting out of it, but they're just, they just keep doing this good stuff, this kind stuff. And all of a sudden, they they, they begin to wonder, what is it that they have? And then they come here and they say, wow, why are they so nice? What are they drinking in those coffee cups? Like, what's going on here? This is unusual. And we get to say, benefit number three, extending God's kindness points others to Jesus. We get to say, it's not me. It's not us. We're just the beneficiaries of kindness. 
So we're, we feel obligated to extend it to others, regardless of, of who they are or where they're coming from or what they can do for us in return. It's not about any of that. It's just the right thing to do because we're so thankful for what God has done for us. We can't help but extend those things to others. When the church is functioning as it should, as Paul was passionate about teaching us, when we're extending love and grace and compassion, respect for others, unity, there's no other force like it. And we get to shine a bright light for others to be introduced to a huge God who wants to extend his kindness to them. It's profound. So let us remember what Paul was trying to tell the church, not back then, right now, to us. Jesus is the unifying force that we all need to gather around and rally around to make this thing work. And then just for kicks, at the end of Romans 2, he kind of puts a little punch in the side here. He says, God is kind, yes, that's certainly true, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly in his hand. He never lets us go. He leads us into radical life change, but make no mistake, in the end, you get what's coming to you. It does not honor God to withhold the kindness that he has given to us. And when we do, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. And just picture with me for just a moment, what if, a what if scenario, we begin to replace, not even all of it, just let's just say even some of it, the, the judgment that we're so quick to cast on others. What if we would just replace that with a little bit of patience? The, the condemnation that we have for them over there without even knowing them, without ever having a conversation with the person, what if we just replace that with a little bit of love and grace and say, you know what, I need to understand you a little bit better. What if we replace some of the disrespect for others? Just a, a humble ear to listen out of respect. And we just start freely and generously handing out kindness, not because anybody deserves it, not because of what they can do for us. Nobody deserves it. We, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But just because this is a fellow person living this life just like I am, made in the image of God, just like I am, and they're due. The respect and the honor and the forgiveness and the grace and the kindness that I think I deserve. So let's not be stingy. Let's not deny God's kindness to others. Let's freely give it because our best spiritual life comes when we extend God's kindness to others. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the opportunity to come out on a rainy Sunday morning and sit in a, a warm, comfortable room. We have been so blessed, more, more than what we even realize. We can sit comfortably. We can drink a warm cup of coffee. We can go to a, a water fountain 
and drink clean running water anytime we want to. Let us not lose sight of the blessings that we have been given and the kindness that you have extended to us undeservingly. And let us not be stingy with that. Let us not hold tight to what we have, but release it and to extend kindness. Let's err on the side of kindness and let you handle the rest. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and what he's offered to us. And it's in his name that we pray these things today. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.